Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We're going to enjoy it while it lasts. You can be seated this morning. Thank you for standing. Thank you, Brother Allen. Always very thoughtful and on time. If you'll join me in the book of Mark, we're going to read one verse of scripture this morning. Mark chapter 5 and verse 34. We have spent the preceding three weeks talking about the subject that Jesus is Lord. That's been our overall focus, our overall stance. We know that, but we need to be reminded of that from time to time, that Jesus is, in fact, Lord. Mark 5 and 34 One portion of scripture, speaking of Jesus, he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. And so we're going to visit the subject of faith this morning. We're going to kind of wrap everything up that we've been talking about in one hopefully neat package in the end. And we're going to speak on the subject of faith and that your faith has made you whole. Your faith. Can somebody say my faith? Your faith has made you whole. God responds to faith. Faith is a curious thing. Faith will cause you or someone to to do certain things, to go to extraordinary lengths, sometimes lengths that others may think or ascertain or or unattainable or unapproachable, unreachable. Faith produces something in us that is needed. Faith produces confidence. Whatever you're placing your faith in, you are placing your confidence in. Romans 12 and 3, we've heard it said in the last few services, says that every person, every man, mankind has been given the measure of faith. And so everyone who was born on the planet has been given faith, has been given the measure of faith. And so the question is not whether we have faith. The question is not whether or not we possess faith. The simple fact of the matter is, is that we have faith. It belongs to us. The Bible says it has been given to us. And so we possess faith, and we also possess the ability to use that faith. We're going to spend a few moments in the book of Mark chapter 5. We've spent quite a bit of time in that that chapter uh, in the last few weeks, and so we're just going to take some, some, maybe a different approach, perhaps a more narrative approach to a very age-old story. And so faith is important. We're talking about faith this morning and that your faith, My faith has made us whole. 
And so the question is not whether or not we have it, or the question is not whether or not we possess it, because we've already established that we do, but it, det- it depends, and the determining factor is where you place that faith. You have it, you have the ability to use it. The question is, where do you place it? Or perhaps who do you place that faith in? It matters where you place your faith. It matters where you assign your confidence. And here's the reason why. And I don't mean to insult your intelligence this morning, but there are some things that can kill your faith. There are some things that can at least hinder your faith, perhaps trusting overly in the wrong thing or maybe even the wrong person. Maybe you don't know this, but if you've lived more than 15 minutes, you know this by now, that there are some people that will let you down. People can let you down. Processes can fail. Sure fire plans can malfunction. And if we're not careful, if we are, if we are placing our faith in the wrong thing, we can find ourselves disillusioned, downtrodden, and ultimately defeated. And so I'll say it again. It matters where you put your faith. It had been 12 years for her, 12 years of suffering. 12 years of an incessant issue with no end in sight. Over a decade, she had been the victim of a chronic condition that affected every single aspect of her life. She was considered unclean. Ceremonially, she was considered unclean, regarded as unapproachable, reprehensible, of those who would suffer from her such condition, at best, they were considered to be a threat to the sanctity of their surroundings. Castigated to be perpetually confined to her own abode. She was separated from the populace, and we know her simply as the woman with the issue of blood. This is what the law said of her condition. Leviticus 15, 25 through 27, this is what the word of God said of her. And if a woman have an issue of her blood many days out of the time of her separation, or if it run beyond the time of her separation, all the days of the issue of her uncleanness shall be as the days of her separation, and she shall be unclean. Every bed whereupon she lieth, all the days of her issue shall be unto her as the bed of her separation, and whatsoever she sitteth upon shall be unclean, and the uncleanness, as the uncleanness of her separation, and whosoever toucheth those things shall be unclean, and shall wash his clothes, and bathe himself in water, and be unclean until the even. This was her existence. This was her life for twelve years. Years, no breaks, no in-betweens, no, no, no pauses or, 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 or time between one issue to another. This was her life perpetually. This was her existence. This is where she lived all the days of her life for 12 years. Now, there would be some prescriptions. There would be some approachable, if you will, treatments only if she could afford them. In their, in their common, very uh, somewhat medical manual of the day called the Talmud, there were 15 or so such treatments, if you will, for her condition. 
Let me give you a little bit of background of what the Talmud is, in fact. It's a collection of rabbinic Jewish texts that record the oral tradition of early rabbis. It's a primary source of study for Judaism for at least the first century and up to its final date of redaction, as late as even the 7th century. And so this Talmud, this manual, this book that they used in conjunction with the Word of God was their, so to speak, medical manual. There were two versions. The Babylonian one was the one they went through because there was over 2,000 folio pages of its standard edition. And so this, this book, this, this uh, accompaniment, if you will, was sort of a uh, text of, of interpretations, uh, in a sense, that would cover a multitude of situations and circumstances. In fact, every conceivable subject possible. It was incredibly scoped. It was, it was fundamental to the text of Jewish uh, uh, people during the Middle Ages and even beyond up till and including the days of Jesus when he walked the earth. And so these are sort of the cures. And I don't mean to bore you this morning, but let's look at some of those from this book. The Talmud, prescriptions. One says, take of gum Alexandria, of alum, and of crocus hortensis, the weight of a zuzi each. Let them be bruised together and given in wine to the woman that hath the issue of blood. But if this fail, try this. Take of Persian onions nine logs, boil them in wine, and give it to her to drink, and say, arise from thy flux. But should this fail, set her in a place where Two ways meet, and let her hold a cup of wine in her hand, and let someone come behind and affright her, and say, arise from thy flux. I mean no disrespect, but I think they got that mixed up with hiccups. But take a handful of cumin, this is number four, and a handful of crocus, I don't know what that is, and a handful of, I'm not even going to try to pronounce that, let these be boiled together and give her to drink and say, arise from thy flux, but if this doesn't work, dig seven trenches and burn in them some cuttings of vines, not yet four years old, and let her take in her hand a cup of wine and let her be led from this trench and set down over that and let her be removed from that trench and set down over another. And in each removal, say unto her, Arise from thy flux. And if that didn't work, there's at least 10 more behind it that she might could try to see if that would at least do something for her. Formulas, opportunities, 10 more of them that we will not take the time to read today. But that would mean that there would be 10 more appointments. That would mean that there would be 10 more doctor's visits. That would be 10 more trips, 10 more financial uh, obligations for her, only if she could afford them. The Bible says that she suffered many things by many physicians. Now, that does not mean that she suffered because they were trying to harm her. They were, in fact, trying to help her. She just, that just means that she went through everything that she could conceivably think of to try and staunch this illness in her body. It means that she tried everything. It means that she did 
did everything and spent everything that she had in order to just try to find some remedy, some maybe, some hope so off of some opinion or some interpretation of a pseudoscientific formula only to be left in the same exact state if not worse. Think about it with me. The physical toll that the that the disease must have exacted upon her all by itself, but not to mention the mental anguish that came along with it. Those questions at night that kept her up, will this ever end? Will I ever be over this? Will I ever make it through this? Will I ever be able to come out on the other side well? Will it ever happen? There is no doubt in my mind at least that this at least had the potential to drive her into a state of, 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 of potentially depression. She tried everything. She spent everything. She's still sick and she's getting sicker. The range of results is growing wider and wider. The load of the physical strain is growing heavier. The financial burden is getting deeper and more and more abundant. And by all accounts, she is walking towards a state of hopelessness. Now let me just pause here and say this. These notes were already done when it was said in the last service. But hopelessness is an absolute place that we must never find ourselves in. I'm going to say it again. Hopelessness must never be a state that we find ourselves in. Hopelessness is not, not a resort. It is not a place that we should ever attempt or even think about visiting because hopelessness is, it was, and it will be until the day that he returns what takes the lives of most people in this country and in this world. The utter hopelessness that I'll never make it through this. I'll never get okay. I'll never be all right. I, I'm just going to have to live with this until the day I die. I'm never going to be all right. But hear me now. Hopelessness is not a resort because it doesn't have to be. Hopelessness is not somewhere that we have to find ourselves because hopelessness is not the resort. Faith is the resort. We have faith. And so we don't have to live in hopelessness. We don't have to ask those questions, will I ever make it through? Because we have Faith. Somebody say, I have faith. And our faith is not in the ability of a physician. Although there is nothing wrong, hear me now, I'm not saying anything about going uh, against going to the doctor. There is nothing inherently wrong with seeking guidance or advice. Our faith is not in man's wisdom, although there is wisdom to be had. There's experiences that produce wisdom, and they are to be utilized in all aspects of life. But what I'm saying is, is our faith is not in the program. Our faith is not in the formula. Our faith is not in the opinion, but our faith is in the one who created the heavens and the earth. The Bible says that in the beginning that the earth was void. It was formless. It was dark. And there was nothing there. Can I tell you? It was utter hopelessness. There was nothing that it was going to be able to do on its own by its own volition. It was just stuck in that state until the Bible says that the Spirit of God moved and He spoke, let there be light. And so our faith is not in formulas. Our faith is not in man's wisdom, but it is in the 
one who created him, the heaven and the earth and all things. It was all made for him and by him, and it's our faith in him that produces results. And so that's what we've been talking about over the last three weeks. We've been talking about him. We've been talking about him. Jesus is Lord. And I know this is very elementary, but I'm going to shout it from the mountaintops. Jesus is Lord, and he is Lord over all. He's, everything is under his feet. Everything is subject to his feet, to his voice, and to his will, and to his way. We've heard through various ministers over the past three weeks. I'm just going to go through them again. We've heard that Jesus is greater than any culture. We've heard that Jesus is greater than any storm, whether that's internal, external, natural, or spiritual. Jesus is greater than any oppression. He's greater than any depression and God is greater than any possession. Jesus is greater than any disease. You can name it. His name is already above it. The Bible says that he's been given a name which is above every name and that every knee should bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord of all because he is Lord. He's proved it throughout the Gospels. He's proved it already that he's greater than nature. He's greater than the devils. He's greater than and disease and in just a few moments he's going to show us that he's even greater than death itself and so for all account all intent and purposes this woman was considered a threat to the sanctity of her surroundings by all accounts she was considered a danger to her community you see throughout scripture we can see disease as being thought of as communicable. That any disease, anything could be communicated through touch. We've seen that this particular one, a communicable disease. It was said of her that she should be isolated from her surroundings as if not to contaminate anything that she comes in to contact with. And so in this portion of Scripture, she's not supposed to just be out and about. She's not supposed to just be out to the market. This is not just a normal day for her. This was not just normal societal communion that she was banned from, in fact. She was banned from ceremony in the temple because she was considered to be ceremonially unclean. Her condition declared her ceremonially unclean, preventing her from even going to the temple. You see, she would not be able to, to offer up sacrifice until the Bible says she was cleansed from her condition. She would not even be able to enter in to the temple until she was cleansed from her malady, seven days beyond, in fact. But she heard about something. She heard about a man she heard about him, and she heard about what he had done and what he was doing and what he was going about doing. And that day, she determined in her heart that no matter what, no matter the law that's against me, no matter the community that may be against me, no matter the disease that is in my body, I am going to make it to Jesus. It does not matter what's going on in my life. It does not matter what potentially could hold me back. I am going to make it 
to him. Can I tell you this morning that that was faith. That was her faith. And it was her faith that drove her out of her prescribed and her mandated isolation to make it to the feet of Jesus. Now the anxiety and the questions that had to surround her mind, that had to to just attempt to to just defile this idea that she had in her heart, preventing her from even stepping out in the first place. She must have asked herself the questions. She must have asked them over and over as she, 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 she determined in herself, do I, do I ask him to touch me? No, I, I can't do that. Perhaps I could just somehow get to him. He could speak to me. He could say something to me. He could perhaps pray over me, and that would take care of my issue. But that would mean that I would have to make myself known. That would mean that I would somehow have to, let me just say it in our vernacular, I'd have to out myself. I'd have to make myself known to the, to the crowd and to the, to the people. I would, I would have to make everyone aware that I was present. That would mean that I would have to be known, that I would have to make my condition Known. I'm not even supposed to be in town. I'm not even supposed to be near people, much less a holy man. But it was her determination that pushed down all of the doubt. It was her determination and her faith that said, whatever I have to do, I'm going to do it. If I have to make myself known, I'm going to make myself known. I'm going to come to him with my arms open and my heart open and I am going to do whatever it takes to get rid of this thing that is holding me down. And then she thought in her mind, if I could just make it to him, he's a holy man. He's been touching and healing people all over the place. If I could just make it and touch the hem of his garment, I will be made whole. I'm here to tell you this morning, it's that kind of faith that led her into a realm of deeper understanding and revelation of who Jesus is. I'm telling you right now, it's that kind of faith that will take you from where you are into a deeper understanding and a revelation of who he is. It was her faith that placed her in a position, a position to be revealed unto a profound knowledge of who he really is. Let me say it like this. One commentary wrote, according to the ceremonial law, the touch of anyone, anyone having a disease which this woman have would have defiled the person touched. Some even think that the recollection of this may be why she decided to approach him stealthily and touch him in the crowd and touch the hem of his garment alone. But there was significant, there was a significant instinct within her, a, a significant instinct of faith within her that brought her to him in the first place and bringing herself to him then in effect taught her that if the touch could set her free from that defiling disease itself that it would be impossible to communicate that defilement to him because he is Lord of all. 
that, let me say it like this. Her faith took her from a place of hopelessness and depression and weary and turmoil into a place that said, I can make it to him. And when she made that decision, it brought her to a place where she could have that revealed unto her. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. If you place your faith in him, he will reveal himself to you. That is what faith can do. You see, faith is action. She could have stood there all day long in her house and said, I believe that he can heal me, but I can't go. I believe all day long that he can heal me, but the law says I have to stay. And she would have stayed sick. She would have stayed downtrodden all the time believing that God could do what she thought he could do. Faith is action. Faith will make you move. Faith will take you into a realm of moving, of transportation, of taking your need to him and placing your faith in him. Placing all of your confidence in him begets more understanding of who he is and what he is capable of doing in your life. I'm not talking to novices this morning. I'm talking to well-seasoned people, well-seasoned saints that can back me up 1,000% to say that if you'll just take it to him, he'll make a way for you. Whatever it is, whatever's holding you back, if you'll just get to him, he will show himself to you and he will show himself strong unto you. That's what faith can do. Faith builds upon itself. She found out that day that Jesus really was who everybody had said he was. She found out that day that what she thought he could do, he really could do. She, she found out that day that who he said he was was in fact who he is because just by touching the hem of his garment, think about that, just by touching the hem of his garment, the Bible says that she was made completely whole. Now, I do not have, I'm, I, don't, I don't prescribe to relics and things of that nature, to objects that you can put on a shelf and pray unto that that has the power. They don't have the inherent power to do anything in your life. I don't believe for a moment that Jesus' garment was some sort of some sort of celestial garment that just he walked by and people would touch it and they would fall out in 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 just a heated passion of 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 whatever worship or whatever you want to call it. I'm getting off my notes this morning if you can't tell. I don't believe that. I don't believe that it was a relic. I don't believe it was some sort of magical garment. It was her faith in him that caused the virtue to flow out of him. My God in heaven, I feel the Holy Ghost. It was her faith that activated the healing that went into her body. And so it revealed to her, her faith revealed a greater understanding of who he is, but it also revealed something else to us. It's important to understand this morning that Jesus was not just kicked back on a stool somewhere on the corner with his disciples. We're just hanging out waiting for somebody to walk by. No, Jesus, as per usual, Jesus was on the move. 
As per usual, Jesus was in transit. You know, he had just come, we heard this last week, he had just come off the heels of casting a legion of devils into swine that ran into the ocean. He had, he had traveled back across the lake and he had, he had just come from healing that man of Gadara. And in this instance, the woman was not the only one in need of a miracle. Jesus was actively in transit, Mark 5 and 21. And when Jesus was passed over again by ship unto the other side, much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh unto the sea. And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay hands on her and that she may be healed and she shall live. And Jesus went with him and much people followed him and thronged him. It's here where we see two stories as they become in as they come into collision together. Two two instances, two circumstances collide right here in this scripture. Two people, two of them, both in need of a miracle. One, a ruler of the synagogue, a a, a, a highly exalted ranking officer, one by name Jairus, the other a very lowly and unnamed and unknown and otherwise isolated woman with a disease. Jesus was on his way to heal a daughter. Jesus was in transit. He knew what he was going to do when he got there. He asked him, come lay hands on my daughter and she shall be healed. And he went with him. When there, there was no question, well, what kind of disease is it? Well, there was no question, why well, has she been coughing for 24 hours? Has she been fever free? I don't know if I can go in there or not. He didn't ask any of those questions. He just simply went with her and he was on his way to heal a little girl that by all accounts as far as we know could have already died she could have already passed away unbeknownst to anyone in the crowd this understanding this is the understanding that if Jesus did not make it to her on time that she would die and all hopelessness was already present and so you have to imagine the situation that we're looking at here today. Just use your imagination for a moment. A frantic father, naturally, I can relate to that. Frantic, the nature of the situation. His worst fears are coming to, to, to pass. His daughter is sick and she is on the verge of death. He knows it, but he knows that if the master can make it to her, that he can lay hands on her and heal her of her disease. This I'm here to tell you this morning is great faith. He left where she was and he went to where he was and he said if you can just make it to her, you can lay hands on her and she shall be healed. It was great faith. It was great faith in that father but I'm here to tell you this morning that it was great faith that was in that woman with the issue of blood because she was undeterred and she was unhindered by the business that Jesus was about. And she said 
said in her heart, if I can just but touch the hem of his garment, I know where he's going. I know I heard the voice of the father when he asked, please come help my daughter. She's sick unto death. But she said, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, the audacity the absolute audacity of this woman is what most likely most would think that that she would hold him up that she would uh, do anything that would cause a hindrance in his ability to get to this little girl this dying daughter of prominence but what she understood and what she would come to understand and what that crowd would understand and what Jairus would come to understand and what would teach us here this morning and and, and, and what we would come to understand is that Jesus brother Allen's already said it he's never too busy to see to your need he's never too busy to to, to look upon you and to and to take care of you. And so just use your imagination here with me this morning. Just like we are here today, on any given day, any gathering of people, much like us here this morning, I would surmise that there are many needs present. We are living in a fallen world. We're living among fallen people. And so it's safe to say that there are many needs right here in this house today and an abundance of needs that are watching by way of our media. But I'm here to tell you this morning that he is big enough, he is great enough that he can handle any need that you bring to him. It does not matter what you have. It does not matter. I'm not making light of that. It does not matter what it is. He is able to do exceeding and abundantly and above all that we can ever ask or think. You see, on that day, as he walked through that crowd, he was being touched, if you will. The Bible says that he was being thronged. He was being pressed many different directions, backwards, sideways, diagonal. He was on his way somewhere, but he was being thronged. He was being moved back and forth, and he was being approached, I'm sure, by many voices in the crowd and by many, many needs that were present in that day. But hear me now, it was faith that moved him. It was faith that took him where he was to where he was headed. And it was faith that stopped him in his tracks to see to the need of a lowly woman. It is faith. It is faith that is the activator. And faith is here now because we have faith. We possess it. It's, it's, it's what denounces doubt. It's, it's what gets the attention of God. It's our faith in him. It's what produces the results, not our formulas. It's not our plans. It's not our processes. It's not our formulations. It's not our opinions or our positions that dictate how God is going to do something or that makes him do anything in the first place. It is our faith in him that causes him to show himself and to reveal himself in a mighty way. And so whether it's touching the hem of his garment or whether it's him coming to touch us physically, it's faith that is the activator. It's the faith that we have in him 
him, when we bring our need to him, that gets him to moving. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, now faith. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things that is not seen. It's our faith now that will make God move. That woman had no idea. She had absolutely no idea what was going to happen. She had no idea whether or not she was going to be healed. She had no idea if what she was planning to do would garner the desired results. But I'm here to tell you this morning that her faith was enough. Her faith was enough to get her out of her home. Her faith was enough to get herself into the crowd. Her faith was enough to grab a hold of his garment. And it was her faith that was enough that made her whole. It was her faith that pressed down everything within herself that was telling her that she had no business going there. It was her faith that dispelled the debate in her mind as to whether or not she should just stay home. It was her faith that ultimately led her to her ultimate healing. Perhaps the audibly heard Jairus as he approached Jesus frantic, out of breath come lay hands on my daughter nevertheless she pressed inward. By all imagination by what the scripture has told us it is not inconceivable to think that she crawled upon her hands and her knees to make it to him her hands no doubt being stepped on dirt and dust being kicked in her face risking being trampled. She finally makes it to where she can see the fringes of his robe and she reaches with all the remaining strength that she has that's left within her and she grabs a hold of his garment. Hear me now, a momentary grasp, a millisecond of time, yet a moment that would change her life forever. Mark 5 and 29 the Bible says, and straightway straightway, that means right now, right then the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague but she was not the only one that felt the virtue because Jesus immediately halted his steps. He immediately turned and asked the question who touched my clothes almost indignantly almost condescendingly his disciples said what who touched your clothes do you see the crowd do you see the multitude of people they're thronging you there's a lot of people Jesus that are touching you right now there's a lot of people that are putting their hands on you, bumping into you, and you're asking the question, who touched me? Well, respectfully, disciples, that's not what he asked. He said, who touched my clothes? That makes it even more significant. How would he feel that his clothes were touched if it were not virtue that flowed out of his body? He said, who touched me? Who touched my clothes? Jesus understood that there were a lot of people touching him. He understood that there's a lot of people that were inadvertently bumping into him that were touching him by chance they were touching and coming into proximity but only by chance just by way of the situation just by the onlookers just by the ambulance chasers going to see what might happen might be following behind to see if we can see a miracle there were a lot of people that were there accidentally there were a lot of people that there that were unwittingly touching him and coming into contact with him but Jesus 
perceived the purpose. Jesus perceived the intention. Jesus felt virtue flow out of him because he perceived the faith, not necessarily the touch. It was the touch that did it. It was her faith that activated it. But his his mind went straight to that because he perceived the purpose in her to be healed. You, You see, she was not just coming for a casual encounter. She didn't just leave her house uh, uh, attempting to get down to town. She was at great risk for being there in the first place. And so she wasn't there casually. She wasn't there to just own look to see what would happen. He's coming to town. Let's see the parade. No, sir. She was there. She was in the crowd. She was on purpose. And she was there for a purpose. Not in the outskirts. Not as an onlooker. She was there on purpose. And she came without a doubt that I am leaving with what I came here for. She went into that situation intending to be healed. She went into that situation intending to be changed. And when it happened, Jesus stopped in his tracks and said, who touched my clothes? Wow. I got a long way to go. Not knowing what to expect, he knew her when he saw her. Trembling not knowing what his response would be. Everyone in the crowd knew her. They knew she shouldn't have been there. They knew that she was sick. How dare she violate the law by being here? How dare she subject this holy man to her uncleanness? It was a mess in a moment. But in a moment, the response turned from fear and trembling to this. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. She told him everything. She told him about the sickness, the years that she suffered, the money that she had spent, the doctors she visited, all the things that she had tried to no avail. And she told her him of her intention, her need to be made whole, her desire to be clean and, the, and to be rid of this disease. And not knowing his response, she awaited trembling in anticipation. Would it be rebuke? Would it be reprisal? No. We already know the end. We already know the story. It would be absolute and utter compassion. He said unto her, and it's very important, he said unto her, daughter, daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. Jesus called her daughter. We still call her the woman with the issue of blood. We still call her by a disease and a malady that she no longer suffers from. From that very moment she was made healed. She was made cleansed. And so Jesus didn't call her, hey sicky or hey diseased or hey lame. No. He called her daughter. That means descendant. That means child of God. What we see in this interaction is not an overt uh, admonishment, but it is a father's heart to a daughter's hurt as his comfort and his understanding just blankets her whole life and tells her that thy faith hath made you whole. I mean, I'm closing. Your, her faith brought her to Jesus. And because of that faith, she left his presence whole. And hear me, a daughter acceptable in his sight. She entered the situation unclean, but she determined to leave complete. And Jesus healed her of her disease and brought her in to proximity to the family by calling her 
daughter. And so I'm here to tell you this morning, it does not matter where you are in your life. It does not matter who you are. You don't have to be a prominent person in the community and you don't have to be homeless on the street. But if you find yourself in one of those categories or anywhere in between, I'm here to tell you that whatever you bring to him, he has the ability to change your situation and bring you into his proximity. He will call you daughter. He will call you son. He will make you whole and cleanse your mind and bring you to him clean. Let's stand together. As it were, hopelessness rears its ugly head again. Because while all of this is transpiring, the daughter did in fact pass away. And she did die. But I'll just cut to the chase because we're out of time. He went and healed her too. And so we already know that whatever you bring to him, he's not too busy. If you have something that you need to get rid of today, he's not too busy. Yeah, there's a lot of needs in here. There might be a lot of voices in here. Where you are online this morning, there might be a lot of voices in your mind that's trying to tell you and detach you from your purpose. But God can and he will see to every need that you have. There are some things that we put ourselves in. And there are some things that we wind up in just by way of life. But he has the ability to take care of every single one of them if we'll just put our faith in him and that's all it takes faith, faith in him faith in his word, faith will move you to action faith will move you to repentance faith will move you into baptism in Jesus name, faith will move you into receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost faith will, will move you into bringing your disease to him and your addiction to him and your malady to him, it'll bring, it'll bring everything to the feet of Jesus and what you'll find is compassion what you'll find is a name change. You'll go from unknown to known because that's what he did. He made the crowd know she's now a daughter. She's now whole. She could have left there completely whole and nobody would have ever known it. And all they would have known is she's still the sick lady. She's still the woman with the issue of blood. But Jesus called her daughter. Come on in daughter. You're accepted in my sight. You're clean and whole now and it's your faith that has made you whole. Why don't we lift our hands this morning and thank him for giving us the measure of faith, giving us the ability to use that faith and to place it in Him. Lord, we love You and we thank You for Your Word. We thank You, God, for everything You've done in our lives. We thank You, Lord, for giving us the, the ability to utilize our faith. I'm just asking You now to give us the courage to do it. Give us the courage, God, to step out that no matter what is going on around us, no matter the naysayers, no matter the negative voices, God, that we would staunch them and push them down and make our way to the feet of your cross, oh God, and we'll praise you for it in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. One more time, would you clap your hands to the Lord? This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. 
Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.